Chapter 9 Captain Wentworth was come to Kellynch as to a home, to stay as long as he liked, being as thoroughly the object of an admiral's fraternal kindness as his wife's. He had intended, on first arriving, to proceed very soon into Shropshire, and visit the brother settled in that country, but the attractions of Uppercross induced him to put this off. There was so much of friendliness, and of flattery, and of everything most bewitching in his reception there. The old were so hospitable, the young so agreeable, that he could not but resolve to re remain where he was, and take all the charms and perfections of Edward's wife upon credit a little longer. It was soon Uppercross with him almost every day. The Musgroves could hardly be more ready to invite than he to come, particularly in the morning, when he had no companion at home, for the Admiral and Mrs. Croft were generally out of doors together, interesting themselves in their new possessions, their grass, and their sheep, and dawdling about in a way not endurable to a third person, or driving out in a gig lightly added to their establishment. Hitherto, there had been but one opinion of Captain Wentworth among the Musgroves and their dependencies. It was unvarying, warm admiration everywhere. But this intimate footing was not more than established when a certain Charles Hayter returned among them to be a good deal disturbed by it and to think Captain Wentworth very much in the way. Charles Hayter was the eldest of all the cousins and a very amiable, pleasing young man, between whom and Henrietta there had been a considerable appearance of attachment previous to Captain Wentworth's introduction. He was in orders, and having a curacy in the neighborhood where residence was not required, lived at his father's house, only two miles from Upper Cross. A short absence from home had left his fair one unguarded by his attentions at this critical period, and when he came back he had the pain of finding very altered manners, and of seeing Captain Wentworth. Mrs. Musgrove and Mrs. Hayter were sisters. They had each had money, but their marriages had made a material difference in their degree of consequence. Mr. Hayter had some property of his own, but it was insignificant compared with Mr. Musgrove's, and while the Musgroves were in the first class of society in the country, the young Hayters would, from their parents' inferior, retired and unpolished way of living, and their own defective education, have been hardly in any class at all, but for their connections with Uppercross. This eldest son, of course, excepted, who had chosen to be a scholar and a gentleman, and who was very superior in cultivated, cultivation and manners to all the rest. The two families had always been on excellent terms, there being no pride on one side and no envy on the other, and only such a consciousness of superiority in the Miss Musgroves as made them pleased to improve their cousins. Charles' attention to Henrietta had been observed by her father and mother without any disapprobation. It would not be a great match for her, but it, if Henrietta liked him, and Henrietta did seem to like him. Henrietta fully thought so herself, before Captain Wentworth came, but from this time Cousin Charles had been very much forgotten. Which of the two sisters was preferred by Captain Wentworth was as yet quite doubtful, as far as Anne's observation reached. Henrietta was perhaps the prettiest. Louisa had the higher spirits, and she knew not now whether the more gentle or the more lively character were more likely to attract him. 
Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove, either from seeing little or from an entire confidence in, in the discretion of both their daughters and of all the young men who came near them, seemed to leave everything to take its chance. There was not the smallest appearance of solicitude or remark about them in the mansion house, but it was different at the cottage. The young couple there were more disposed to speculation and wonder, and Captain Wentworth had not been about above four or five times in the Miss Musgrove's company, and Charles Hayter had but just reappeared, when Anne had to like, listen to the opinions of her brother and sister as to which was the one liked best. Charles gave it for Louisa, Mary for Henrietta, but quite agreeing that they have him marry either would be extremely delightful. Charles had never seen a pleasanter man in his life, and from what he had once heard Captain Wentworth say him, himself say, was very sure that he had not much less than twenty thousand pounds by the war. Here was a fortune at once, besides which there would be the chance of um, what might be done in any future war, and he was sure Captain Wentworth was as likely a man to distinguish himself as any officer in the Navy. Oh, it would be a capital match for either of his sisters. Upon my word it would, replied Mary, dear me, if he would rise to any very great honours, if he should ever be made a baronet. Lady Wentworth sounds very well. That would be a noble thing indeed for Henrietta. She would take place of me then, and Henrietta would not dislike that. Sir Frederick and Lady Wentworth, it would be but a new creation, however, and I never think much of your new creations. It suited Mary best to think Henrietta the preferred one, on the very account of Charles Hayter, whose pretenses she wished to see put an end to. She looked down very decidedly upon the Hayters, and thought it would be quite a misfortune to have the existing connection between the families renewed. Very sad for herself and her children. You know, said she, I cannot think him at all a fit match for Henrietta, and considering the alliances which the Musgroves have made, she has no right to throw herself away. I do not think any young woman has a right to make a choice that may be disagreeable and inconvenient to the principal part of her family, and be giving bad connections to those who have not been used to them. And pray, who is Charles Hayter? Nothing but a country curate, a most improper match for, the Miss, for Miss Musgrove of Upper Cross. Her husband, however, would not agree with her here, for besides ha having a regard for his cousin, Charles Hayter was an eldest son, and he saw things as an eldest son himself. Now you are talking nonsense, Mary, was therefore his answer. It would not be a great match for Henrietta, but Charles has a very choice, uh, has a very fair chance, through the Spicers, of getting something from the bishop in the course of a year or two, and you will please to remember that he is the eldest son. Whenever my uncle dies, he steps into very pretty property. The estate at Winthrop is not less than 250 acres, besides the farm near Taunton, which is some of the best land in the country. I grant you that any of them but Charles would be a very shocking match for Henrietta, and indeed it would, could not be, but he is the only one that would, could be possible. Um, okay, actually, okay. He is the only one that could be possible, but he is a very good-natured, good sort of fellow, 
and whenever Winthrop comes into his hands, he will make a different sort of place of it, and live in a very different sort of way, and with that property, he will never be a contemptible man. Good, freehold property. No, no, Henrietta might, Henrietta might do worse than marry Charles Hayter, and if she has whim, and Louisa can get Captain Wentworth, I shall be very well satisfied. Charles may say what he pleases, cried Mary to Anne as soon as he was out of the room, but it would be shocking to have Henrietta marry Charles Hayter. A very bad thing for her, and still worse for me. And therefore it is very much to be wished that Captain Wentworth may soon put his quite out of her head, and I have very little doubt that he has. She took hardly any notice of Charles Hayter yesterday. I wish you had been there to see her behavior. And as to Captain Wentworth's liking Louisa as well as Henrietta, it is nonsense to say so, for he certainly does like Henrietta a great deal the best. But Charles is so positive. I wish you had been with us yesterday, for then you might have decided between us. I am sure you would have thought as I did, unless you had been determined to give it against me. A dinner at Mr. Musgrove's had been the occasion when all these things should have been seen by Anne, but she had stayed at home under a mixed plea of a headache of her own and some return of indisposition in little Charles. She had thought only of avoiding Captain Wentworth, but an escape from being appealed to as umpire was now added to the disadvantages of a quiet e to the advantages of a quiet evening. As to Captain Wentworth's views, she deemed it of more consequence than he, that he should know his own mind, early enough not to be endangering the happiness of either sister, or impeaching his own honor, than that he should prefer Henrietta to Louisa, or Louisa to Henrietta. Either of them would, in all probability, make him an affectionate, good-humored wife. With regard to Charles Hayter, she had delicacy which must be pained by any lightness of conduct in a well-meaning young woman, and a heart to sympathize if any of the sufferings it occasioned. But if Henrietta found herself mistaken in the nature of her feelings, the alternation could not be understood too soon. Charles Hayter had met with much to disquiet and mortify him in his cousin's behavior, she had too old a regard for him to be so wholly estranged, as might in two meetings extinguish every past hope and leave him nothing to do but to keep away from Uppercross. But there was such a change as became very alarming when such a man as Captain Wentworth was to be regarded as the probable cause. He had been absent only two Sundays, and when they parted, had left her interested even to the height of his wishes in his prospect of soon quitting his present curacy, and obtaining that of Uppercross instead. It had then seemed the object nearest to her heart that Dr. Shirley, the rector, who for more than forty years had been zealously discharging all the duties of his office, but was now growing too infirm for many of them, should be quite fixed on engaging a curate, should make his curacy quite as good as he could afford, and should give Charles Hayter the promise of it. The advantage of his having come only to Uppercross instead of going six miles another way, of his having in every respect a better curacy, of his belonging to their dear Dr. Shirley, and of dear good Dr. Shirley's being relieved from the duty which he could no longer get through without most injurious, injurious fatigue, 
had been a great deal even to Louisa, but had been almost everything to Henrietta. But when he came back, alas, the zeal of the business was gone by. Louisa could not listen at all to his account of a conversation which she had just held with Dr. Shirley. She was at a window looking out for Captain Wentworth, and even Henrietta had at best only a divided attention to give, and seemed to be forgetting, uh, to have forgotten all the former doubt and solicitude of the negotiation. Well, I am very glad indeed, but I always thought you would have it. I always thought you sure. It did not appear to me that, in short, you know, Dr. Shirley must have a curate, and you had secured his promise. Is he coming, Louisa? One morning, very soon after the dinner at the Musgroves, at which Anne had not been present, Captain Wentworth walked into the drawing-room at the cottage, where were only herself and the little invalid Charles, who was lying on the sofa. The surprise of finding himself almost alone with Anne Elliot deprived his manners of their usual composure. He started, and could only say, I, I thought the Miss Musgroves had been here. Mrs. Musgrove told me I should find them here. Before he walked to the window to recollect himself, and feel how he ought to behave. They are upstairs with my sister. They will be down in a few moments, I dare say, had been Anne's reply, in all the confusion that was natural, and if the child had not called her to come and do something for him, she would have been out of the room the next moment, and released Captain Wentworth as well as herself. He continued at the window, and after calmly, calmly and politely saying, I hope the little boy is better, was silent. She was obliged to kneel down by the sofa and remain there to satisfy her patient, and thus they continued a few minutes, when, to have her very great to her very great satisfaction, she heard some other person crossing the little vestibule. She hoped on turning her head to see the master of the house, but it proved to be one much less calculated for much for making matters easy. Charles Hayter, probably not at all better pleased by the sight of Captain Wentworth than Captain Wentworth had been by the sight of Anne. She only attempted to say, How do you do? Will you not sit down? The others will be here presently. Captain Wentworth, however, came from his window, apparently not ill-disposed for conversation, but Charles Hayter soon put an end to his attempts by seating himself near the table and taking up the newspaper and Captain Wentworth returned to his window. Another minute brought another addition. The young boy, a remarkable stout forward child of two years old, having got the door opened for him by someone without, made his determined appearance among them, and went straight to the sofa to see what was going on, and put in his claim to anything good that might be giving away. There being nothing to eat, he could only have some play, and as his aunt would not let him tease his sick brother, he began to fasten himself upon her as he knelt in such a way that, busy as she was about Charles, she could not shake him off. She st sh uh, spoke to him, ordered, entreated, and insisted in vain. Once she did contrive to push him away, but the boy had the greater pleasure in getting back upon her back again directly. Walter, said she, get down this moment. You are extremely troublesome. I am very angry with you. Walter, cried Charles Hayter, why do you not do as you are bid? Do you not hear your aunt speak? Come to me, Walter, come to Cousin Charles. But not a bid did Walter stir. 
In another moment, however, she found herself in the state of being released from him. Someone was taking him from her. Though he had been down her head so much that his little sturdy hands were unfastened from around her neck, and he was resolutely borne away before she knew that Captain Wentworth had done it. Her sensations on the discovery made her perfectly speechless. She could not even thank him. She could only hang over little Charles with most disordered feelings. His kindness in stepping forward to her relief, the manner, the silence in which it had passed, the little particulars of the circumstance, with the conviction soon forced on her by the noise he was studiously making with the child that he meant to avoid hearing her thanks, and rather ought to testify that her conversation was the last of his once, produced such a confusion of varying but very painful agitation as she could not recover from, till enabled by the entrance of Mary and the Miss Musgroves to make over her little patient to make over her little patient to their cares and leave the room. She could not stay. It might have been an opportunity of watching the loves and jealousies of the four. They were now all together, but she could not she could stay for none of it. It was evident that Charles Hayter was not well inclined towards Captain Wentworth. She had a strong impression of his having said in a very in a vexed tone of voice after Captain Wentworth's interference. You ought to have minded me, Walter. I told you not to tease your aunt. And could comprehend his regretting that Captain Wentworth should do what he ought to have done himself. But neither Charles Hayter's feelings nor anybody's feelings could interest her till she had a little better arranged her own. She was aware of her, ashamed of herself, quite ashamed of being so nervous, so overcome by such a trifle. But so it was, and it required a long application of solitude and reflection to recover her. Chapter 10 Other opportunities of making her observations could not fail to occur. Anne had soon been in company with all the four together often enough to have an opinion, though not too wise to acknowledge as much at home, where she knew it would have satisfied neither husband nor wife. For while she considered Louisa to be rather the favorite, she could not but think, as far as she might dare to judge from memory and experience, that Captain Wentworth was not in love with either. They were more in love with him, yet there it was not love. It was a little fever of admiration, but it might, probably must, end in love with some. Charles Hayter seemed aware of being slighted, and yet Henrietta had sometimes the air of being divided between them. Anne longed for the power of representing to them all what they were about, and of pointing out some of the evils they were exposing themselves to. She did not attribute guile to any. It was the highest satisfaction to her to believe Captain Wentworth not in the least aware of the pain he was associating. There was no triumph, no pitiful, no pitiful triumph in his manner. He had probably never heard and never thought of any claims of Charles Hayter. He was only wrong in accepting the attentions, for accepting must be the word, of two young women at once. After a short struggle, however, Charles Hayter seemed to quit the field. Three days had passed without his coming once to Uppercross, a most decided change. He had even refused one regular invitation to dinner, and having been found on the occasion by Mr. Musgrove with some large books before him, Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove were sure all could not be right, and talked with grave faces of him studying himself to death. 
It was Mary's hope and belief that he had received a positive dismissal from Henrietta, and her husband lived under the constant dependence of seeing him tomorrow. Anne could only feel that Charles Hayter was wise. One morning about this time, Charles Musgrove and Captain Wentworth, being gone a-shooting together as the sisters in the cottage were sitting quietly at work, they were visited at the window by the sisters from the mansion house. It was a very fine November day, and the Miss Musgroves came through the little grounds and stopped for no other purpose than to say that they were going to take a long walk, and therefore concluded Mary could not like to go with them. And when Mary immediately replied with some jealousy, at not being supposed a good walker, Oh, yes, I should like to join you very much. I am very fond of a long walk. Anne felt persuaded by the looks of the two girls that it was precisely what they did not wish, and admired again the sort of necessity which the family habits seemed to produce, of everything being to be communicated and everything being to be done together, however undesired and inconvenient. She tried to dissuade Mary from going, but in vain, and that being the case, thought it best to accept the Miss Musgrove's much more cordial invitation to herself to go likewise, as she might be useful in turning back with her sister, and lessening the interference in any plan of their own. "'I cannot imagine why they should suppose I should not like a long walk,' said Mary as she went up the stairs. "'Everybody is always supposing that I am not a good walker, and yet they would not have been would they not have been pleased if we had refused to join them?' When people come in this manner on purpose to ask us, how can one say no? Just as they were setting off, the gentlemen returned. They had taken out a young dog who had spoilt their sport, and sent them back early. Their time and strength and spirits were therefore re ex exactly ready for this walk, and they entered into it with pleasure. Could Anne have foreseen such a junction, she would have stayed at home. But for some feelings of interest and curiosity, she fancied now that it was too late to retract, and the whole six set forward together in the direction chosen by the Miss Musgroves, who evidently considered the walk as under their guidance. Anne's object was not to be in the way of anybody, and where the narrow paths across the field made many separations necessary to keep with her brother and sister. Her pleasure in the walk must arise from the exercise and the day, from the view of the last smiles of the year upon the tawny leaves and withered hedges, and from repeating to herself some few of the thousand poetical descriptions ex extant of autumn, that season of peculiar and ex inexhaustible influence on the mind of taste and tenderness, that season which is drawn from every poet worthy of being read some attempt at description, or some lines of feeling. She occupied her mind as much as possible, in such like musings and quotations, but it was not possible that when within reach of Captain Wentworth's conversation with either of the Miss Musgroves, she should not try to hear it, yet she caught little uh, very remarkable. It was mere lively chat, such as young, any young persons on an intimate footing might fall into, he was more engaged with Louisa than with Henrietta. Louisa certainly put more uh, forward for his notice than her sister. This distinction appeared to increase, and there was one speech of Louisa's which struck her. After one of the many praises of the day, which were continually bursting forth, Captain Wentworth added, What glorious weather for the admiral and my sister! 
They meant to take a long drive this morning. Perhaps we may hail them from some of these hills. They talked of coming into the side of the country. I wonder whereabouts they will upset today. Oh, it does happen very often, I assure you. But my sister makes nothing of it. She would as, as leave be tossed out as not. Ah, oh, you make the most of it, I know cried Louisa, but if it were really so, I should do just the same in her place. If I loved a man as she loves the admiral, I would always be with him. Nothing should ever separate us, and I would rather be overturned by him than driven safely by anyone else. It was spoken with enthusiasm. Have you, cried he, catching this same tone, I honor you. And there was silence between them for a little while. Anne could not immediately fall into a quotation again. The sweet scenes of autumn were for a while put by, unless some tender sonnet, fraught with the apt analogy of the declining year with declining happiness, and the images of youth and hope and spring all gone together, blessed her memory. She roused herself to say, as they struck by uh, order into another path, Is not this one of the ways to Winthrop? But nobody heard her, heard her, heard, or at least nobody answered her. Winthrop, Winthrop, however, or its environs, for young men are sometimes to be met with strolling about near home, was their destination. And after another half mile of gradual ascent through large enclosures, where the plows, where the plows at work and the fresh made path made, spoke the farmer counteracting the sweets of poetical despondence and meaning to have spring again they crossed this they gained the summit of the most considerable hill which parted upper cross and Withrop, and soon commanded a full view of the latter at the foot of the hill on the other side Winthrop, without beauty and without dignity, was stretched before them, an indifferent house, standing low and hemmed in by the barns and buildings of a farmyard. Mary exclaimed, "'Bless me, here is Winthrop. I declare I had no idea. Well, now I think we had better turn back. I am excessively tired.' Henrietta, conscious and ashamed, and seeing no cousin Charles walking along any path or leaning against any gate, was ready to do as Mary wished. But— no, said Charles Musgrove, and no, no, cried Louisa more eagerly, and taking her sister aside, seemed to be arguing the matter warmly. Charles, in the meantime, was very decidedly declaring his resolution of calling on his aunt, now that he was so near, and very evidently, though more fe fearfully, trying to induce his wife to go too. But this was one of the points on which the lady showed her strength and when he recommended the advantage of resting herself a quarter of an hour at Winthrop, as she felt so tired, she resolutely answered, Oh, no, indeed! Walking up that hill again would do her more harm than any uh, sitting down could do her good. And in short, her look and manner declared that she sh would not. After a little succession of these sort of debates and consultations, it was settled between Charles and his two sisters that he and Henrietta should just run down for a few minutes to see their aunt and cousins while the rest of the party waited for them at the top of the hill. Louisa seemed the principal arranger of the plan, and as she went a little way with them down the hill, still talking to Henrietta, Mary took the opportunity of looking scornfully around her and saying to Captain Wentworth, 
It is very unpleasant having such connections, but I assure you I have never been in the house above twice in my life. She received no other answer than an artificial, assenting smile, followed by a contemptuous glance as he turned away, which Anne perfectly knew the meaning of. The brow of the hill, where they remained, was a cheerful spot. Louisa returned, and Mary, finding a comfortable seat for herself on the step of a stile, was very well satisfied so long as the others all stood about her. But when Louisa drew Captain Wentworth away, to try for a gleaning of nuts in an adjoining hedgerow, uh, and they were gone by degrees quite out of sight and sound. Mary was happy no longer. She quarreled with her own seat, was sure Louisa had got a much better somewhere, and nothing could prevent her from going to look for a better also. She turned through the same gate, but could not see them. Anne found a nice seat for her on a dry sunny bank under the hedgerow, in which she had no doubt of their still being in some spot or other. Mary sat down for a moment, but it would not do. She was sure Louisa had found a better seat somewhere else, and she would go on till she overtook her. Anne, really tired herself, was glad to sit down, and she very soon heard Captain Wentworth and Louisa in the hedgerow, hedgerow behind her, as if making their way back along the rough, wild sort of channel down the center. They were speaking as they drew near. Louisa's voice was the first distinguished. She seemed to be in the middle of some eager speech. What Anne first heard was, And so I made her go. I could not bear that she should be frightened from the visit by such nonsense. What? Would I be turned back from doing a thing that I had determined to do, and that I knew to be right by the airs and interference of such a person? Or of any person, I may say. No, I have no idea of being so easily persuaded. When I have made up my mind, I have made it. And Henrietta seemed entirely to have made up hers to call it Winthrop today. And yet she was as near giving it up out of nonsensical complacence. She would have turned back then, but for you? She would indeed. I have almost ashamed, I am almost ashamed to say it. Happy for her to have such a mind as yours at hand. After the hints you gave just now, which did but confirm my own observations, the last time I was in company with him, I need not affect to have no comprehension of what is going on. I see that more than a mere uh, dutiful morning visit to your aunt was in question, and woe betide him or her too when it comes to things of consequence, when they are placed in circumstances requiring fortitude and strength of mind, if she had not um, she have not resolution enough to re uh, resist idle interference in any such a trifle as this. Your sister is an amiable creature, but yours is the character of decision and firmness, I see. If you value her conduct or happiness, infuse as much of your own spirit into her as you can. By this, no doubt, you have been always doing. It is the worst evil of too yielding and indecisive a character that no influence over it can be depended on. You are never sure of a good impression being durable. Everybody may sway it. Let those who would be happy be firm. Here is a nut, said he, catching one down from an upper bough. To exemplify, a beautiful glossy nut which, blessed with original strength, has outlived all the storms of autumn. Not a puncture, not a weak spot anywhere. This nut, he continued with playful solemnity, 
while so many of its brethren have fallen and been trodden underfoot, it still is in possession of all the happiness that a hazelnut can be supposed capable of. Then, returning to his former, former earnest tone, My first wish for all who I am interested in is that they should be firm. If Louisa Musgrove must, would be beautiful and happy in her November of life, she will cherish all her present powers of mind. He had done, and was unanswered. It would have surprised Anne if Louisa could have readily answered such a speech, words of such interest, spoken with such serious warmth. She could imagine what Louisa was feeling. For herself, she feared to move lest she should be seen. While she remained, a bush of low, rambling holly protected her, and they were moving on. Before they were beyond her hearing, however, Louisa spoke again. Mary is good-natured enough in many respects, said she, but she does sometimes provoke me excessively by her nonsense and her pride, the Elliot pride. She has a great deal much, too much of the Elliot pride. We do so wish that Charles had married Anne instead. I suppose you know he wanted to marry Anne. After a moment's pause, Captain Wentworth said, Do you mean that she refused him? Oh, yes, certainly. When did that happen? I do not know exactly, for Henrietta and I were at school at the time, but I believe about a year before he married Mary. I wish she had accepted him. We should all have liked her a great deal better, and Papa and Mamma always think it was her great friend Lady Russell's doing that she did not. They think Charles might not be learned and bookish enough to please Lady Russell, and that therefore she persuaded Anne to refuse him. The sounds were retreating, and Anne, di Anne distinguished no more. Her own emotions still kept her fixed. She had much to recover from before she could move. The listener's proverbial fate was not absolutely hers. She had heard no evil of herself, but she had heard a great deal of very painful import. She saw how her own character was considered by Captain Wentworth and there had been just that degree of feeling and curiosity about her in his manner, which must give her extreme agitation. As soon as she could, she went after Mary, and having found, and walked back with her to their former station, by the stile, felt more comfort in their own party being immediately afterwards collected, and once more in motion together. Her spirits wanted the solitude and silence which only numbers could give. Charles and Henrietta retur returned, bringing, as may be conjectured, Charles Hayter with them. The minute of the business Anne could not attempt to understand. Even Captain Wentworth did not seem admitted to perfect confidence here, but that there had been a withdrawing on the gentleman's side and a relenting on the ladies, and that they were now very glad to be together again did not admit a doubt. Henrietta looked a little ashamed, but very well pleased. Charles Hayter exceedingly happy, and they were devoted to each other almost from the first instant of their all setting forward for Uppercross. Everything now marked out Louisa for Captain Wentworth. Nothing could be plainer, and where many divisions were necessary, or even where they were not, they walked side by side nearly as much as the other two. In a long strip of meadowland, where there was ample space for all, they were thus divided. 
forming three distinct parties, and to that party of the three which boasted least animation and least complacence and necessarily belonged. She joined Charles and Mary and was tired enough to be very glad of Charles's other arm, but Charles, though in very good humor with her, was out of temper with his wife. Mary had shown herself disobliging to him, and was now to reap the consequence, which consequence was his dropping her arm almost every moment to cut off the heads of some nettles in the hedge with his switch. And when Mary began to complain of it, and lament her being ill-used, according to custom, in being on the hedge side, while Anne was never in commoded uh, on the other, he dropped the arm of both to hunt for a weasel which he had a momentary glance of and they could hardly get him along at all. This long meadow bordered a lane, which their footpath at the end of it was to cross, and when the party had all reached the gate of exit, the carriage advancing in the same direction, which had been seen us uh, sometime heard, was just coming up and proved to be Admiral Croft's gig. He and his wife had taken their intended drive and were returning home. Upon hearing how long a walk the young people had engaged in, they kindly offered a seat to any lady who might be particularly tired. It would save her a full mile, and they were going through Upper Cross. The invitation was general, and generally declined. The Miss Musgroves were not at all tired, and Mary was either offended by not being asked before any of the others, or what Louisa called the Elliot Pride could not endure to make a third in a one-horse chaise. The walking party had crossed the lane, and were surmounting an opposite stile, and the admiral was putting his horse into motion again, when Captain Wentworth cleared, cleared the hedge in a moment to say something to his sister, that something might be guessed by its effects. "'Miss Elliot, I am sure you are tired,' cried Mrs. Croft. "'Do let us have the pleasure of taking you home. Here is excellent room for three, I assure you. If we were all like you, I might think... Uh, I believe we might sit four. You must indeed, you must. Anne was still in the lane, and though instinctively beginning to decline, she was not allowed to proceed. The admiral's uh, kind urgency came in support of his wife's. They would not be refused. They compressed themselves into the smallest possible space to leave her a corner, and Captain Wentworth, without saying a word, turned to her and quietly obliged her to be assisted into the carriage. Yes, he had done it. She was in the carriage and felt that he had placed her there, that his will and his hands had done it, that she owed it to his perception of her, of her fatigue and his resolution to give her rest. She was very much affected by the view of his disposition towards her, which all these things made apparent. This little circumstance seemed the completion of all that had gone before. She understood him. He could not forgive her but he could not be unfeeling. Though condemning her for the past and considering it with high and unjust resentment, though perfectly careless of her, and though becoming attached to another, still he could not see her suffer without the desire of giving her relief. It was a remainder of former sentiment. It was an impulse of pure, though unacknowledged, friendship. It was a proof of his own warm and amiable heart which she could not contemplate without emotion so compounded of pleasure and pain that she knew not which prevailed. Her answers to the kindness and the remarks of her companions were at first unconsciously given, 
They had traveled half their way along the rough lane before she was quite aware to what they said. She then found them talking of Frederick. He certainly means to have one or other of those two girls, Sophie, said the admiral. But there is no saying which. He has been running after them too long enough, one would think, to make up his mind. Ay, this comes of the peace. If we were, if it were war, war now, he would have settled it long ago. We sailors, Miss Elliot, cannot afford to make long courtships in time of war. How many days was it, my dear, before the first time of my seeing you, and our sitting down together in our lodgings at North Yarmouth? We had better not talk about it, my dear, replied Mrs. Croft pleasantly, for if Miss Elliot were to hear how soon we came to an understanding, she would never be persuaded that we could be happy together. I had known you by character, however, long before. Well, and I had heard of you as a very pretty girl, and what were we to wait for besides? I do not like think like having such things so long in hand. I wish Frederick would spread a little more canvas and bring us home one of those young ladies to Kellynch. Then there would always be company for them. And very nice young ladies they both are. I hardly know one from the other. Very good-humored, unaffected girls indeed, said Mrs. Croft, in a tone of calmer praise, such as made Anne suspect that her keener powers might not consider either of them as quite worthy of her brother, and a very respectable family. One could not be connected with better people. My dear Admiral, that post! We shall certainly take that post! But by coolly giving the reins a better direction herself, they happily passed the danger, and by once afterwards judiciously putting out her hand, they never felt fell in a rut, nor fell, ran foul of a dung cart, and Anne, with some amusement at their style of driving, which she imagined no bad representation of the general guidance of their affairs, found herself safely deposited by them at the cottage.